the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God, questions about the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions like, well, secularism, the New Age, Judaism, the Tao, Hinduism, Buddhism, and, of course, Islam. And it's very, very difficult to escape what's happening in the great big world in which we're living right at this very moment as Israel and Hamas uh, continue this war and all of the incredible, um, difficult challenges that are unfolding. And while I was in the Middle East when the war broke out and spent um, about 10 days there and finally left with our team from GotQuestions.org, we left Amman and came back to these great United States of America And um, I was able to text uh, Joel Rosenberg um, on occasion, and we got to talk about a number of different things. But again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. One of the reasons why I'm bringing Joel Rosenberg's name up, he happens to be the subject of an article at ChristianHeadlines.com. And at ChristianHeadlines.com, um, staff writer Michael Faust, who is a ChristianHeadlines.com contributor, has posted an interesting article um, featuring Joel Rosenberg, which I'm going to talk a little bit about. But I want to invite you to call as well, 303-873-1935, because he says some very interesting things, and um, I want to share it with you. 303-873-1935. And according to Michael Faust, um, the headline reads, Joel Rosenberg wonders if we are in the early stages of Gog and Magog in Israel war, which is an interesting um, headline in and of itself. And Michael Faust basically points out that um, Israel... Obviously, I I happen to know that um, Joel and his family made Aliyah um, several years ago. I remember praying with him in the parking lot of our church as he was thinking about considering, um, speculating about whether or not God was calling him back to the land and and what his role might be and and what that might do. But um, in this conversation... With Michael Faust, um, Joel Rosenberg, apparently in the interview that he gave to Michael Faust, he wondered whether or not we're in the early stages of of a prophetic event 
you know, the, the, the events that surround Gog and Magog. But rightly, Joel cautions Christians not to jump to a premature position. So he, he basically says that there's not enough data, there's not enough information. So again, what is the information and, and what kind of data would be necessary um, to literally put you over the edge, if you will? Now, having said all of that, I do want to remind you that um, Hezbollah, which is in the north, and Iran has has been making several statements about its willingness to engage Israel in this war if Israel continues to its uh, ground invasion, if you will, or incursion, whichever word you want to use, um, to describe their entry into Gaza and then the subsequent um, leveling, if you will, of at least northern Gaza. So basically the editor, everyone, not everyone knows, but many people know that Joel Rosenberg is also the editor-in-chief of all Israel news and all Arab news. And of course, I'm looking at a stack of his books here in my studio, The Damascus Countdown, um, the epicenter that he wrote so long ago. So yeah, I've had the great privilege of having him on this program and we've, we've spent many hours together. And according to uh, Michael Faust, Joel Rosenberg, from an eschatological standpoint, um, holds what theologians would call a pre-millennial, pre-tribulational view of the end times. Now, I was having a conversation with J.B. Hickson, who seemed convinced that Joel Rosenberg does not hold that view, Um, but Again, I need to do a little more research in in finding out his specific views or and I and I think that that is his specific view. So again, um he talks about two different scenarios uh that are unfolding. He talks about the first scenario where Israel defeats Hamas and its enemies in a term he used decisively sparking a period of peace in the region. So Joel is speculating that if for whatever reason there's a decisive victory in the Gaza Strip, um, if Hezbollah as a threat is, I'm going to use the term eliminated, if the existential threat of Iran is fundamentally and profoundly eliminated, he envisions a period of peace in the in the region. I'm quoting Joel Rosenberg from his interview at ChristianHeadlines.com, where he says, quote, As the smoke clears off the battlefield, suddenly Israel is the strongest power in the region. Suddenly all our immediate threats and enemies have been vanquished, or at least so humbled that they can't throw any more punches right now. And out of that wreckage, everybody in the region wants to make peace with the most powerful nation in the region, Israel. Now, pause and think about that. Think about that statement that Joel made. In my view, it would have to mean that there is quite a limited um, engagement. Hamas, Hezbollah, 
even degrading Iran's ability to get nuclear capability or wage an effective war. But I'm wondering how it's even possible to ignore Turkey or to ignore the Arab states in the event that that scenario unfolded. So in the article, it says, such a future and peace, Joel Rosenberg says, would parallel the events described in the latter verses in Ezekiel 37, where Israel is enjoying a lengthy period of time without war. That period, he said, takes place before the war of Gog and Magog, where it says Israel is living securely in the land and with enormous prosperity. But he suggests that there might be a second scenario. And the second scenario Rosenberg thought about is that the prophesied era of peace ended on, on October 7th. In other words, Israel Israel's time without war in Ezekiel 37 is like in the in the not too distant past. In other words, where we talk about there was a cold war. And then there is a period of what we might even call pre-war. And then there might be a period of profound war. Is there more than one scenario? This is Gino Drace. If you'd like to join me, it's 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to call me, it's 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Again, uh, producer Chris is standing by to take your call, 303-873-1935. That's the number. I was talking about an article at ChristianHeadlines.com that's been posted by Michael Faust at ChristianHeadlines.com. He is a contributor. And he had an interview with Joel Rosenberg, and he talked about two scenarios. The first scenario is that um, as these events continue to unfold, that Hamas and Hezbollah um, are roundly defeated. Now, again, part of the challenge of limiting this uh, unfolding difficulty is People know that more than a million Palestinians have been displaced from Gaza. What you may not know is more than 300,000 Israelis have been displaced from the northern Lebanese border and from the southern borders of Gaza as you're approaching Egypt and in that area. And in both cases, I think one of the ways to think about it is the average Israeli citizen is asking and answering the question, is it safe for me to live close to the Lebanese border? And um, Israelis in the south are asking the question, is it safe for me to live along the Jordanian-Egyptian-Gazan border? Is it safe for me to live next to the West Bank settlement? And so I'm wondering, again, if... I'll have to have Joel on and just ask him a question that in this first scenario where Israel defeats Hamas and its enemies decisively, 
Does he mean Hezbollah? Does he mean Iran? Does he mean um, the various factions that are living outside of Israel that are seeking the destruction of Israel? And then he talks about the second scenario. And the second scenario is that the prophesied era of peace ended on October 7th. In other words, in his way of thinking, Israel's time without war in Ezekiel 37 is in the past. He says to the interviewer at ChristianHeadlines.com, quote, It would mean that the period we've just gone through in the last, say, five or six years has been the precursor, that in God's sovereign view, Israel has been living securely, so securely that that's the only way you could possibly imagine an Israeli government not having combat forces on the border. Now, that's an interesting statement. That's an interesting statement. Uh, you could, where he says that's the only way you could possibly imagine an Israeli government not having combat forces on the Gaza border during the October 7th attack. Pause in the interview. This is where I would want to ask Joel. There doesn't seem to be a good explanation. You know, people have thrown around the, 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 the phrase massive intelligence failure. So we're talking about a massive intelligence failure on the part of the United States of America, the massive intelligence failure on the part of Israel. But let me tell you why the massive intelligence failure on the part of Israel seems difficult to imagine or swallow. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Because the border fence between Gaza and Israel is a technological wonder. You can't approach that fence without setting off alarms. That fence and that area was the most heavily surveilled, one of the most heavily surveilled areas on planet Earth. So credible voices, credible voices have asked the question, how do you account not just for a massive failure of intelligence, but how do you account for the amazing opportunity that Hamas had, the absolute failure on the part of the Israeli defense forces to respond and the subsequent massacre, I do not, I repeat, I do not want in any way to leave you with the impression that I blame the Israeli Defense Force for the brutal massacre undertaken by the death cult Hamas. But when Benjamin Netanyahu was confronted on this massive intelligence failure, he basically just bluntly said, there, there's going to have to be an inquiry. We're going to have to ask ourselves some very hard questions. A lot of people are going to be held to an account. We're going to have to come up with some, some credible, believable reasons how this happened, why this happened, and who are we going to hold accountable for this. He also included himself. He said, including me. Now, I understand that he's going to postpone the question because he has to wage war at this particular moment. 
but it's still not a real answer. Now, according to Joel Rosenberg, if the second scenario is correct, he basically says the era of peace, that era of peace included the Abrahamic or the Abraham Accords. And then he goes on and he says, quote, scenario two is that we're in the early stages of Gog and Magog. And then Joel is careful to say, and I'm quoting him, quote, especially if the article at ChristianHeadlines.com has gotten it right. He says, I'm not saying that, that we are because there are things that are happening right now that aren't in the text. So that's why I highly caution anybody on television, anybody on radio, anybody on the Internet. There's not nearly enough data to tell us if we're heading into Ezekiel 38 and 39. But then he says this, but if we were, what would that mean? That's interesting. It's an interesting question. And the reporter at ChristianHeadlines.com writes that Rosenberg and many others in the premillennial, pre-tribulation camp believe Gog is the leader of Russia and Magog is the Russian-led army. Now, again, we are in a kind of a quandary. We know that Russia right at this very moment is literally bogged down in Ukraine. And then Joel comments in this article, he says, quote, the Bible says, remember, that God put hooks in the jaws of Gog, the euphemistic name for the Russian dictator, and forces him out of Russia with his military, referencing Ezekiel 38.4. In the second scenario, Iran persuades Russia to get involved. He basically says, quote, the Russian leader is so guilty of sin that God's going to show the supernatural judgment. He pulls him into the war that Gog really doesn't want to be in in order to show the end has come for Gog and Magog. And then Joel Rosenberg cautioned, quote, I don't know which scenario we're in, unquote. Now, what's interesting about that is, again, there's the possibility of scenario one. There is the possibility of scenario two. But what I'm wondering is if there's a different scenario that might explain the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Joel says, right now, this is unprecedented, the moment we're in. So it feels prophetic. But we've got to look carefully and wait before we make conclusions, because otherwise we're just going to bring discredit on the Lord if we're wrong. I mean, he's still sovereign, but we'll look like idiots, unquote. So what is going on? How do we explain the circumstances we find ourselves in? This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I've been talking a little bit about Gog and Magog, and I'm happy to take your calls at 
1935. And so for many people, you know, as they've, I've been asked this question over and over again, what are Gog and Magog? And we have an article posted at gotquestions.org, your questions, biblical answers. And so under the uh, heading of Gog and Magog, at our article, it says, historically speaking, Magog was a grandson of Noah. And of course, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 2, it says, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. Now you'll remember that Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. So Japheth has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight children. And he names them. And one of them is Magog. And Magog seems to be the descendants that settled to the far north of Israel. Now, if you've ever looked at a map and you go to the north of Israel, immediately to the north is Lebanon and Syria. As you go further north, it's Turkey. If you go further north, you wind up in Russia. So some people have suggested that the descendants of Magog settled likely in what's now called Russia and Europe and Northern Asia. And so in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 2, it says, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against them. So Magog seems to be a reference to what some have suggested. They, they called northern barbarians in general, but likely has a connection to Magog, the person. And the people of Magog were described as skilled warriors in Ezekiel 38:15. You will come out or you will come from your place out of the uppermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army in Ezekiel 38:15. And then in Ezekiel 39 verses 3 through 9. Um, it says, then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all of your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of the prey, every sort of the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field for I've spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So that that prophecy, that strange prophecy, seems to indicate something where God himself is intervening, if you will, in the course of what looks like the certain annihilation of Israel. So Gog and Magog appear in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, and then also again in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. And while those two passages use the same names, 
if you look closely at the scripture, it clearly demonstrates that these aren't a reference to the same people and the same events. The events are separated by what looks like at least a thousand years. In Ezekiel's prophecy, Gog will be the leader of a great army that attacks the land of Israel, which is peaceful and unsuspecting at that time. So Joel, earlier in the article, had quoted the passage in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 11, where it says, And I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates. So Gog is describing or is described as the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So when will this battle take place? Now, obviously, there's a couple of theories. The first theory is before the tribulation begins. Another theory is that it takes place during the first part of the seven-year tribulation. The view that it begins before the tribulation points to the fact that after the battle, the people of Israel will be burning the enemy's weapons for seven years and spend over seven months burying the dead. That's Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 9 and 10. That length of time most likely requires that the battle has to be fought before the tribulation and possibly even before the rapture of the church. Now, obviously, different people have different views about whether the rapture and the second coming are the same event or whether the rapture and the second coming are separate events. So you can imagine that scholars and people who hold one view or another whether or not this issue takes place before the tribulation begins will have a predisposed bias one way or another about the biblical evidence that supports an event before the tribulation begins and an event that takes place during the seven-year tribulation period. So that's the second broad view. The second broad... so. It takes place before the tribulation begins or possibly during the first part of the seven-year tribulation. That view hinges on the fact that Israel is at peace when the attack begins in Ezekiel 38, verse 8, and then again in verse 11. So, again, when we ask and we answer the question, has Israel been living in peace since its inception? Or is it even a reference to a physical, geographical, political nation-state? Or is it a reference to something else? If it's a reference to something else, what could possibly be that second second something else. So it's been my understanding that since Israel's inception in 1948, war. 1956, war. 
1972 war, uh, uh, the, the, the um, Yom Kippur War, October 1973, another war in 1981, skirmishes, difficulties along the way. So the security Israel enjoys by some Bible call, scholars is believed to be assumed based on Israel's covenant with a future antichrist who brokers this deal at the beginning of the tribulation according to Daniel's 70th week, which is spoken of in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. It means uh, a seven, just like we use the word week to describe a seven or a dozen to describe 12. And the security Israel enjoys is supposed to be brokered by this future antichrist figure. Now, according to Ezekiel, Magog will not win. God will intervene and preserve Israel. If you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. When my world goes dark, hey, welcome back. This is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me. And no matter which view is right about Gog and Magog in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 and Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, um, according to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 38, Magog will not win. God will intervene. God will preserve Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 19, the passage says, For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. It says in verse 21, Every man's sword will be against his brother. In verse 22, it says, And God will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, and burning sulfur on Gog and on his troops and on the many nations with them, in verse 22. And the result is that the nations will see God's greatness and holiness. Now, the last time there was a an event, if you will, that seems to describe a kind of torrential rain and hailstone and burning sulfur, there's a couple of events that come to mind. One is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where some, even Bible scholars, wonder whether or not God uses a cosmic event, like some meteoritic material that quite literally demolishes the troop movement of this particular nation. Gog and Magog are then mentioned again in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Now, in Revelation 20, Jesus has returned. 
the thousand-year millennial kingdom has come and gone. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, it says, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So the duplicated use of the names Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter 20, verses 8 and 9, some have suggested is to show that these people demonstrate the same kind of rebellion, the same kind of antagonism towards God as those who showed the same kind of rebellion and antagonism in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's similar today to someone calling a person a devil because he or she is sinful and evil. We know that that person really isn't Satan, but because that person shares the characteristics of Satan, they call them the devil. So the book of Revelation uses Ezekiel's prophecy about Magog to portray a final end-time attack on the nation of Israel in Revelation chapter 20, verses 8 and 9. And so the result of that battle is that all are destroyed. And Satan will find his final resting place in the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it has these sobering words. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But it's really important to recognize that the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is different from the Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. And some of the more obvious reasons why these are different people in different battles is number one, in the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39, the armies come primarily from the north, that is north of Israel. And apparently it involves a few nations. So there are nations with them and people like Joel Rosenberg and others have suggested that those nations might include the nation state of Russia and maybe some of its satellites maybe even Turkey, maybe even Iran. And so in Ezekiel 38, verse 15, it says, you'll come out of your place, out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. And in Ezekiel 39, 2, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. So the battle in Revelation chapter 20 involves all the nations. So the armies come from all directions, not just the north. And number two, there's no mention of Satan in the context of Ezekiel 38 and 39. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, the context clearly 
spells out and places the battle at the end of the millennium with Satan as the primary character. In Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 11 and 12, it states that the dead will be buried for seven months. Now, there's no need to bury the dead if the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the one described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 8 and 9, because immediately following Revelation chapter 20, verses 8 and 9, is what's called the Great White Throne Judgment, where the present heaven, the present earth, are destroyed, and it's replaced by a new heaven and a new earth, it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, where it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There obviously isn't a need to bury the dead if the battle takes place before or in the early part of the tribulation, for the land of Israel will be occupied another thousand years, which is the length of the millennial kingdom, which is repeated in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. So, the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is used by God to bring Israel back to him. In Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 21 and 29, it, it spells out the case and makes the argument. In Revelation chapter 20, Israel has been faithful to God for a thousand years. That's the millennial kingdom. And those in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 10, who are rebellious and are destroyed, they don't have another opportunity for repentance. So in Revelation, again, verse 20, verse 7, it says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. And he'll come out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Who are the saints? The people who know and love the Lord. Which is the beloved city? It's Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There will be a resolution. Good will win. Evil will be defeated. Hey, I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions. 303-873-1935. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.